You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesdays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Face all your fears, drink it at me. There's so many donuts on them back streets. Sit so high in the nosebleeds. Feel like I can fly. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how are you doing? How was your weekend, my man? It was dope. It was dope. Finally got a cut. So fresh cut Corey in the house. I know. Maybe you guys will see it in overtime. But yeah, Corey looking (laughs) spiffy and clean right now. I got to get on. It's been it's been a cool minute. But yeah, uh, first cut of the year. Had to do it. Had to do it. Definitely. Yeah, I'm in need of one of those pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I could see Kush right now. My man's looking like he just came out of Mother Russia. (laughs) (laughs) No, but um. Let's start off. You know, we got on this day. Today's January 26th. And just a year ago on January 26th, one of the greatest basketball players ever, Kobe Bryant, he died along with his daughter, Gigi Bryant, and seven others in a tragic helicopter crash. And today marks the anniversary of the tragic death. And we continue to send our thoughts and prayers to Vanessa Bryant, the family, and to all the other families that were affected by this accident. But we want to look back and reflect on some of Kobe's positive moments. So, I mean, let's talk about our favorite moment ever of Kobe Bryant. Corey, I'll let you go first. What was your favorite Kobe moment ever, whether that was on or off the court? Um, I, the thing that when I think of uh, Kobe Bryant, I just think of uh, has to be the game in which he tore his Achilles and hit those two free throws because he could have easily – just you know gone off the court and you know just that be that but i don't think at the time when it happened people kind of knew as far as like how much this was going to like impact his career and how he was never going to ever be the same on the basketball court again and from that moment of him tearing his achilles to his final game where he drops the 60 and then at the very end uh, of the game um, you know he's shaking it up and hugging it up with all the former Lakers and current Lakers and he says Mamba out I think that's just that 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 short spurt alone from the Achilles tear to you know his final NBA game I think that pretty much summed up Kobe's entire NBA career just the relentlessness that he had the 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 never say die attitude always trying to be the person to um spark the team um lead the team um and you know everybody talks about the fact that he jacked up a lot of shots i mean yeah i mean he was a shooting guard but ultimately i think kobe's mentality was just that like he was obsessed with trying to be the best he was obsessed with trying to win and I think he just had this mentality that not a lot of people have, um, not just in the NBA or sports in general, but 
in life. And I think that that's a, a credit to um, his, his family who raised him. Um, I think that's a credit to him um, and his work ethic and just being willing to, to focus and develop his craft and um, wanting to, like I said, be one of the best basketball players of all time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like you said, with the whole chucking up shots, he wanted to know that he did everything he could and, you know, didn't pass up shots that maybe he could have took that would have made a difference in the game. That's why he always had that winning mentality. But for my favorite moment, I'm going to go with December 15th, 2006. I was 10 years old at the time. And uh, this is the time I was really starting to get into basketball. And I was a big Kobe Bryant fan. So my dad decided to surprise me with Rockets versus Lakers tickets. And this was going to be my first time ever watching Kobe Bryant play in person. And I don't think any time I saw him play after that would top this experience. Because um, at the time, the Rockets had Yao Ming, Shane Battier, Rafer Alston, and Tracy McGrady. But McGrady was injured at the time. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but uh, the Lakers at the time were... We're not good. This is the <laughs> Lakers Kobe team with a bunch of scrubs. You had Kwame Brown. You had uh, Luke Walton. And then um, Smush Parker actually in this game was the second leading scorer for the Lakers. So that, that should paint a vivid picture of how bad this Lakers team was back then. But I remember the Lakers were down to like 20 something at halftime. I think it was like 21 points or something at halftime. And, uh, that's when mama mentality just kicked in and the Lakers ended up winning in double overtime 112 to 101 Kobe had 53 points in this game that I saw him in his in the first time I've ever seen him play and uh that that's more than half the Rockets total score and it was literally a back and forth game with Kobe and Yao Ming just going back and forth in the fourth quarter and in the first overtime period and my jaw was literally on the ground the entire second half of that game in the overtime periods because Kobe literally had to put this team on his back and carry them to the win. And the reason why it's uh, my favorite Kobe moment is because obviously it was my first time seeing Kobe Bryant in person, but it showed me that Kobe was literally a different breed of any other player or athlete in general that we've seen. And I don't think we've seen it since Kobe Bryant in the NBA today. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing that I wish I could have done is uh, seen Kobe play uh live and in person um i did actually see him uh warming up with the the nba all-stars i think it was like oh three oh four or five something like that it was like early 2000s um i saw him warming up with the the western all-stars and uh i got to see like the east and the west warm up so that was like the closest i got to ever seeing kobe play but it was just it was just cool to be able to, you know, somebody from the Cali area to, you know, witness Kobe, whether it was good times or bad times. And I, yeah, I know he did, you know, request the trade to, to go to Chicago, but ultimately it's just like similar to how we were talking about Phillip Rivers, whether it was good times or bad times, Kobe was there and you knew on a consistent night in and night out basis that Kobe was going to do literally whatever it took to try to get his team a win. And he was not interested in like trying to tank for a draft pick or trying to, you know, not miss the playoffs or anything like that. He was always trying to win year after year after year. Like after they got the first championship with him and Shaq, Shaq was like, I'm good. And Kobe was like, let's get another one. <laughs> let's get another one. Cause I'm trying to be the greatest 
basketball player of all time. And I think he's definitely even gone above and beyond the game of basketball. I think he's definitely uh, established himself as in that icon status for, for eternity. 100%. But I mean, since we're on the topic of the Lakers, let's talk about the fight for the top of the Western conference. Cause it is a really tight race right now. We got the Lakers. Let's start off with them. Currently on top of the West with the best NBA record at 14 and four. They had convincing wins versus the Bucks, the Mavs, and the Spurs. And LeBron seems like his body doesn't know how to age. It seems like he's still playing like he's in his 20s and he's still in his prime for God knows how long. And it's insane because the guy's averaging 25, over 25 points per game, making over two and a half three pointers a game while shooting 41% behind the arc. And I think for a long part of LeBron's career was his three-point shooting was his biggest knock to him, which he has completely erased that narrative because look at what he's doing this season and the past couple seasons he's done before. And I think the most impressive stat from the Lakers this season is the fact that they're 10-0 and on the road. I mean, I, you can say that there's no NBA fans in attendance or whatever the case may be, but still to go on the road after a flight and given the safety and protocol uh, that the entire NBA is doing to – to basically just be cooped up in a hotel room and practice. And that's pretty much it. The Lakers being 10 and 0 on the road is most impressive feature to me. And then I think, um, or they have the best defense in the league right now, holding teams to 103.6 points per game, which is the best in the league and have the best point differential at plus 9.8. So they're basically showing that that the NBA defending champions, they're that for a reason. And they're showing no signs of, a championship hangover. So Corey, what are your thoughts on the Lakers and whether they'll keep that number one spot in the West? I think uh, the hardest thing for a team that has just come off a championship run to do is to get motivated and to stay motivated throughout the regular season. I remember the Warriors when they were, you know, as dominant as can be and at their peak, that's one of the things that Tremont Green, Clay, KD, and those guys were always saying was the it's not the trying to, you know, gear up for a championship or um, playoff-wise that you have to worry about guys being motivated. It's, you know, those games, those long stretches, those road trips, um, and just those times in which you just feel like, dang, dude, like, like, let's just get through this regular season already so we can hurry up and get to the playoffs and try to compete for another championship. So I think one of the things that the Lakers have an advantage over previous championship teams is the fact that they have a lot of new faces in new places. So they have guys who are very motivated to want to win a championship. You have a guy like Dennis Schroeder who hasn't tasted what it's like to be on a, 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 on, on a championship team yet. Uh, you have a guy in Wesley Matthews, you have a guy in Marcus saw who has that veteran experience and can help you. Um, and I just think that you have a lot of different guys who are motivated to want to win and have a lot riding on this season to help not only, you know, themselves get a championship, but maybe themselves, you know, um, if it doesn't work out and they don't resign with the Lakers, they can maybe have, showcase themselves enough on the national media stage that they can maybe sign with another team. So overall, I think that the Lakers are in a good spot right now. I just think it's just a matter of motivation and injury. I think at some point injuries will occur, but I don't think that it's something that 
will unless it's like you know a major injury like LeBron or AD but overall I just think that the Lakers right now are still looking like the most dominant team in the NBA and the the confidence that's exuding out of the Lakers I mean when I saw that clip of LeBron against the <laughs> when he just makes the shot and turns around and looks at the bench, I mean, that, that to me is a team that is not only confident, but they're having fun. So the Lakers right now are having fun. They got no worries. They're, they're, they're just enjoying uh, the game and they're not even, I mean, wins are, 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 are racking up, but more so than anything, they're having fun. They're uh, building up their chemistry. So I think the Lakers are, scary because of the fact that their their team chemistry is getting stronger and their their dynamic and the the understanding of everybody's roles is also being more so established by each game so yeah the lakers are definitely uh they're they're the team to beat in the nba right now all right let's move on we got the clippers they're currently second in the western conference with the second best record in the nba behind the lakers at 13 and 4, they have convincing wins against the Lakers, Nuggets, Suns, Spurs, and Warriors. And Kawhi Leonard basically doing Kawhi Leonard things, almost averaging 26, 5, and 5 with two steals. And his shooting splits are 50%, 42%, and 90. So he's a part of that 50, 40, 90 club. And then Paul George out to prove the haters wrong this season. And he's doing it so far. I mean, almost averaging 24 points, six rebounds, five assists. And almost four three-pointers made a game which is insane and he's doing it as well having a 40 58 90 shooting split split he's almost shooting 50 50 90 which is almost unheard of especially for a guy who shoots the volume that paul george does and i think this team finally looks like they're meshing together ty Lu is doing a hell of a job coaching and making sure that they're one cohesive unit basically and it's showing because they lead the league in three-point percentage their ball movement is looking as great as ever and they're currently on a seven game a winning streak which is a second longest active streak right now but just when you think the clippers are looking good and everything is clicking they get hit with bad luck the most clippers thing ever and that's uh the clippers are going to be on this six game road trip that starts tuesday night and they're going to be without their two stars in Kawhi and paul george due to covid health and safety protocols so Depending on the extent of the NBA protocol, the Stars could join the Clippers on the road trip. Otherwise, they'll be sitting out the next six games. And during this stretch, they're going to be playing the Hawks, the Heat, the Magic, the Knicks, the Nets, and the Cavs. All tough teams, in my opinion. And I honestly, if the Clippers don't have their two guys for all these games, I could see that seven-game winning streak turn into a six-game losing streak just like that. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's the the best thing that could probably happen to the best and maybe you could say the worst because we talked about it last season, the Clippers, um, the, the, the tough thing that they had going for them is that their starting five barely played, you know, barely played uh, more than like a few games with each other. So they didn't really have that chemistry and, uh, didn't really build that chemistry throughout the regular season with each other, like the Lakers were able to with their guys. Um, so on one end, it's probably concerning at the fact that both your stars are going to be out during this stretch and you don't really know when you're going to be getting them back, but on the opposite. And I think it's great because you get to see what these guys are made of. These guys are going to get more shots uh, that are not 
Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. These guys are going to be able to get more shine and be able to build something. And I always think that you're only as strong as your weakest link. So this is where you're basically able to identify who are the guys that you can ride or die with come playoff time. Who are the guys that you can kind of look at and be like, okay, yeah, we can trust Ibaka. Yeah, we can trust Lou Will. Yeah, we can trust this, that. Yeah, and we can maybe even try and play around with the lineups. I think that Ty Lu has a good opportunity here to maybe get a little savvy with it and try to, you know, not necessarily, you know, just mess around and try to lose these games, but just try to see what you have because um, in any time, in any moment where it's a regular season game and it's not like a, a nationally televised game, especially, you can be able to afford to rest guys or not play your star players and be able to see what you got as far as depth, I think you take that opportunity. And I think that the Clippers are going to really see what they're made of during these stretch of games. And if it turns into, if the winning streak uh, goes beyond uh, a few more games, I think that's going to show that the Clippers are a deep team, which we already knew, but a team that doesn't have the same sort of psychological issues of last year's team. So I think that the Clippers, their biggest thing is that they need to mirror their star player in Kawhi Leonard, just stay quiet, um, you know, and don't, don't, don't try to act like you're the biggest thing in LA. Understand the Lakers are the best team in LA right now. So just stay quiet, stay under the radar. And then as you get into that uh, playoff push, that's when you start, to play your best basketball and gear up and get ready for the postseason. Yeah, for sure. But definitely losing almost 50 points per game with those two guys <laughs> is definitely going to be tough. Going to need some big production from guys like you said, Lou Williams, Marcus Morris, uh, Luke Kennard, guys who they've added this offseason that, you know, got to play up to their contract extensions that they were paid this offseason. Absolutely. And then we got the Jazz, who are currently third in the West with the third best record in the NBA behind the Lakers and Clippers at 12 and 4. They've had convincing wins over the Clippers, Spurs, Bucks, Nuggets, and Warriors. And Donovan Mitchell had a slow start to start the season, but he's definitely bounced back, looking like Spider Mitchell that we saw in the bubble last season. He's currently averaging over 24 points a game, four rebounds, five assists, while having a 44 40 84 shooting splits. The Jazz are currently shooting 40% behind the arc as a team from three-pointers, which is second best in the NBA behind the Clippers. But And they also lead the league in rebounds per game with almost 50 a game, which is absurd. And they have the third best defense, only allowing 106 points per game to opposing teams. But, I mean, they're playing like con- a contending team behind the play of Mitchell, Conley, Clarkson, Gobert, but it just seems like they're not being treated as one, especially from former players. Take a listen to this post-game interview between Shaq and Donovan Mitchell after the Jazz beat the Pelicans for their seventh straight win, and Mitchell dropped 36 points. And this is what Shaq had to say to Mitchell. By the way, this is Shaq. I, I said tonight that uh, you are one of my favorite players, but you don't have what it takes to get to the next level. I said it on purpose. I wanted you to hear it. What do you have to say about that? All right. That's it. That's it? I, that's it. Okay, cool. I, I mean, I I, I, I've been hearing, well, Shaq, I've been hearing that since my rookie year. You know, I'm just going to get okay, better well, and do what I do. Good. At the end well, of the day. You. Well, that's what I wanted you to hear you say. Yes, Love sir. your game, brother. Keep it up. Appreciate it. 
I mean, I I don't know about you. Some people may say it's disrespect. Some people may say it's motivation. What are your thoughts on this, Corey? Well, I'm just taking a look at their their stats right now. And, you know, obviously you got Donovan Mitchell leading the way. But I told you, because Jordan Clarkson, man, yeah, has been a huge, 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 huge player for them. Has started zero games but is averaging 17 points off the bench. Their He's second winning scorer. And, man, dude, he has really turned his career around. <laughs> I think that he's looking like that that player that the Lakers um, got when they first picked him up. And I think he's just been a, a big addition for him. Bogdanovich hasn't been, you know, probably what the, the, the Jazz hoped he would be. They probably hoped that he would, you know, average the, the numbers right around with Clarkston. But him being back has added a, a, a new dynamic to, I think, not just their offense, but also their defense. And then the man that they, you know, gave that huge contract to, Rudy Gobert, averaging 12 points per game, but at the same time, getting it done on the defensive end, averaging two blocks a game. And he's just looking like that that big, strong presence down below in the middle. But I think with the Jazz, the reason that people probably don't give them the respect that maybe they feel like they deserve is just for the fact that when you look at the team that they have, you obviously see Donovan Mitchell, you see Rudy Gobert as a defensive presence. And then I think from there, kind of, you kind of just, you don't really see anything else beyond that team that makes you believe that this team could realistically challenge the Lakers or the Clippers, maybe the Clippers more so than the Lakers, I feel, but realistically, I don't know if this team can go and really make a serious conversation to get out of the West and into the NBA finals, which I think in the grand scheme of things is what a team like the jazz should be trying to push for. But overall, I think that what Donovan Mitchell and the Utah jazz should do is just use this as bulletin board material. If Shaq, you know, says that Donovan Mitchell is a guy who needs to improve his game. um, I think he just needs to look at that as like, motivation and he just needs to look at it as like okay you know if I'm not going to get you know the quote-unquote respect I deserve it it so much reminds me of when Damian Lillard felt like he should have been an all-star and he just kept getting passed over and passed over and passed over I think Donovan Mitchell is slowly but surely going to be put in that position in a a difficult western conference where he's going to have to maybe do a little bit more every night but I mean the dude is averaging 24 points per game and he has really good shooting numbers and is shooting very efficiently right now and it's like one of the things that I always kind of worried about Donovan Mitchell is his efficiency on whether or not he would be able to um because he 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 shot like crazy in the bubble but I think the the worrying fact was that like his efficiency wasn't there obviously because the dude is taking like you know hundreds of shots each game so um, I just think that you need to see a little bit more out of Mike Conley, who's averaging, I think, 16 right now. Joe Ingles, you know, might need to see a little bit more. Conley's like, actually having a good season, in my yeah. opinion. He's having definitely a bounce back season. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just think that, like, if he if he could, like, maybe turn the clock a little bit back to the Memphis days, I think that this team would just be a, a, a sleeper team that a lot of people would have to worry about. And then I don't know if they have any sort of room to try to get shifty um, before the trade deadline. But overall, I think the team, when I look at the roster, I think that this is a good team, but I don't think that this is a, a championship type team. And maybe I'm I'm sleeping, but I just feel like Donovan Mitchell's great. 
Rudy Gobert is a good defensive presence. And from there, I just see a team that looks like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> but I don't see a team that I'm like, yeah, this is great. They about to be crazy. I think given the teams that they played and they beat already, you could put them maybe in that title contender team. But I think the big thing is going to be when they come to L.A., they play the Lakers, they play the Clippers, whether I don't know if they're scheduled back to back games because most teams do play like that when they play the Lakers and Clippers. But if that's their schedule, but when they play those two teams and they come to LA, I think that's going to be a real show to see whether they are a contending team or not. As of right now, I'm going to go ahead and say that, yeah, they are a contending team just with what Quinn Snyder has been able to do with this team. They literally, they don't really have a weak point because their weak point was that go-to score at the beginning of the season. Cause Donovan Mitchell wasn't playing to the spider Mitchell, you know, uh standard that we hold him to but he's definitely turned that around he's been balling and Mm -hmm. that's why and then jordan clarkson the emergence of him coming off the bench definitely looking like a prime six man of the year uh winner yes sir (laughs) or they call it but i i mean the fact that you have so many weapons on this team like like you said bogdanovich isn't putting up the numbers conley isn't putting up the numbers they don't need to they really don't need to if they play as a cohesive unit and if they're holding teams to about 106 points per game you don't need guys to really come together and score 20 20 20 20 each like one guy can just score 30 points and the rest of them you know their points just kind of drizzle down from there and and if they get the win they get the win doesn't matter how they do it but as long as they're winning and getting the job done, that clearly shows that they're making adjustments on the fly to what teams are doing, and they're doing a hell of a job of it because they're 12 and four right now, a game behind the uh, the Lakers, but the the Lakers are 14 and four, Jazz are 12 and four, so I mean they haven't played as many games. So I'm I'm not gonna write this Jazz team off. I'm gonna say that they're they're contenders right now. I kind of said it in the beginning because a lot of people were hopping on the Trailblazers bandwagon. <coughs> Corey, no, I'm it's still early. It's still early. I mean, it, it's it not, is. It's it impossible. is. It is, but like a lot of people were hopping on the Trailblazers uh, bandwagon and a lot of those same people were forgetting about the Jazz. And I was like, look at what the Jazz did last year. They played a Nuggets team that got all the way to the Western Conference Finals and the Jazz team were only one game away from moving on and knocking out the Nuggets. And that same Jazz team didn't have Bogdanovich through all this. And Mitchell was literally drained by that game seven. So adding uh, Bogdanovich back to this team, you know, kind of releases some of the pressure off of donovan mitchell and i mean like i said with clarkson and then with conley having a full offseason with this team it's definitely proved to show that it's been beneficial for them yeah and like i said they're a good team they got like six guys averaging double figures right now um and i think one of the things that um people need to understand is saying that a team is good in the western conference is not a bad thing because you got from three all the way down to maybe ten teams that could legitimately be uh, not only playoff teams, but maybe even trying to to vie for a potential championship. Cause that's how deep I feel like the Western conference is They're Like from, from the the third ranked team all the way down to number 10, you got teams that could either be a playoff contender or a championship contender. So it just all depends on how, you know, teams like the jazz, the, the nuggets, um, how they continue to press on throughout the season. And and maybe even, you know, depending on how COVID and how injuries go, 
we'll see if the Jazz remain in this third spot or if another team is able to eclipse them and, and go above them. Because right now, the Western Conference is very, very close and tight. So let me ask you this, because in my opinion, the Jazz are not better than the Clippers or the Lakers currently. But do you think they're better than the Nuggets? Take rec- take the standings, the records aside, but seeing what you saw that the, the Nuggets did last year and seeing what they're doing this year, do you think the Jazz are better than the Nuggets? I think the Nuggets definitely have lost out on uh, a key player in Jeremy Grant that defensively has hurt them. Um, I think right now you have Jokic who's, you know, putting up an MVP caliber season. Um, And I think you kind of are not getting that consistent play out of the guy who I thought was going to be most improved in Jamal Murray. Um, And I think one of the things that a team like the Nuggets need to do is they need to have that consistent play out of him or somebody else to step up because I, I feel like they have, they have the same issue that I feel like the Clippers had last year in the fact that they have so much depth, but they almost don't know what to do with it. They have like so many guys that they can pull off the bench that could be a potential starter at, on a very bad team, but overall they just are still in the process of, of trying to figure out what their, their team dynamic is after such a successful um, season last year of getting to the Western conference finals, which I mean, you know, I completely understand like roles can change guys have moved in and out of this, uh, this team, but overall, I think that, uh, Jokic to me is a good, is a good player. He's an all-star caliber player. He's considered by many as one of, if not the, the best big man in the NBA right now. I think for me though, it's like, can you build a championship caliber team around Jokic? I think that's the thing that I keep wondering about because everybody keeps telling me that Jokic is, uh, a dominant big man but can he realistically get a team beyond you know the west can he get them into the nba finals and i'm just like i don't know i don't think so i definitely think so but i think the nuggets are doing a poor job of doing that because you know Jokic is somewhat of a defensive liability but so why would you let your defense go ahead and walk in free agency so Exactly. I, I mean, I don't know. It, that that's a conversation for a different day. But I think but to answer Jazz, your but to answer your question, yeah, I think the Jazz are better than the Nuggets right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm on the same boat as you as well, and I think the Jazz are legit. But only time will tell this season. All right, let's move on. We got some NFL news. We had a lot of new head coach hirings, especially this one from the Lions. Dan Campbell. Take a listen to his introductory interview. Here's what I do know is that this team is going to take on the identity of this city, all right? And this city's been, been down, and it found a way to get up, all right? It's found a way to uh, overcome adversity, all right? And so this team's going to be built on, uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, all right? And when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. All right. And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you before before long. We're they going to be the last one standing. I mean, <laughs> I, that's one hell of an interview. If you ask me <laughs> talking about biting off kneecaps, dropping down, getting back up, biting off another kneecap. Yo, the first time I heard that, I thought of like a WWE tight <laughs> promo like i thought this dude was literally gonna start ripping off his shirt gonna start 
saying, give me a hell yeah. I'm going to start downing a beer and just start letting the Stone Cold Steve Austin music play, bro. Like, this dude legitimately sounds like a football guy. He sounds like he uh, is ready to hop on the field. Like, imagine, like, we always talk about, like, coaches, like, getting frustrated and they want to hop in the game because, <laughs> like, their players aren't doing it for them. Like, this fool, like, seems like he might put on some pads and legitimately go on the field <laughs> line up with the O line or the D line and be well, like, I mean, he, he did it. play tight end, he had a career exactly. as a tight end in the NFL, so you never know. Dan Campbell, I mean, uh, you know how like an MLB, how like the coaches have like jerseys on, mm-hmm. like this dude might show up with pass on instead of just a regular overcoat. Or, hey, mean, with the, with the, with the helmet on, you never know. He could try to pass as one of the guys. But... Yo, you, he, he might. He might legitimately do that. I'm not even not even trying to be funny. He might literally show up to every game with a helmet on, ready to go. All right, let's talk about some of the new head coaches that were hired uh, this offseason so far. So we had the Lions, the Eagles, the Falcons, the Jets, the Chargers and the Jaguars all sign new head coaches. So it was a busy offseason already, and we're not really technically in the offseason of the NFL. So let's get it started. Since we're talking about Dan Campbell, let's talk about the Lions. And they got themselves a high-energy coach, as you could see from the interview, and uh, which honestly is maybe what this young team that's in the kind of rebuild mode that has no identity, maybe that's what they need. He was the assistant head coach and tight end coach for the Saints and then the tight end coach for the Dolphins. What are your thoughts on this hiring, Corey? Um, like you said, definitely a high-energy football guy, definitely somebody who I think will breathe new life into that uh, into that franchise for maybe a short-lived time just because I feel like this sort of personality, you need the right people and the right players to be able to, to, to work under a coach like this, because all this, you know, high energy and, and, and saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And we're going to pipe people's kneecaps off. Like, that's great. That's that, that, that's, that works, you know, for like the beginning, but after going four and 12 or, you know, going three and 13 or whatever, it's, it's not going to really work. Cause I, I think with the lions is that the reason that they've been so unsuccessful is like you said, cause they've been trying to search for an identity. I mean, really for as long as they've been a franchise, they really have wasted the careers of Barry Sanders, wasted the careers of Megatron and, wasted the career of Matthew Stafford. So uh, I think he's coming into a situation where it's not going to be a whole lot of high expectations, which is good for him. It's not like he's coming into a team where they're expecting magic right out the gate, but they're maybe expecting him with his personality type to maybe help these guys who have been losing for so long and haven't made the playoffs in a a good, good little while uh, to maybe breathe some new life into the locker room and with the uh, the potential departure of Matthew Stafford I think this team is definitely going to need somebody who's going to be able to help them weather through uh, losing because they're going to be losing for a little bit yeah my main concern with Dan Campbell is he doesn't 
have a lot of experience play calling. So, and this is maybe where the hiring of the change of culture was that that's why he was hired. And I think that's also why they went out and got Anthony Lynn as their offensive coordinator. Mm, Cause yeah. he has a little bit of experience. Um, but I think the first thing on Campbell's agenda is going to need to figure out whether Stafford is his quarterback next season or not. And I think that could prove to be his biggest decision he makes in his Lions coaching career. And that can come as his first thing of his agenda as a head coach. But um, overall, I like the hire for the Lions. Um, they went a different ap- approach and clearly pressing the rebuild button. And honestly, I don't think Campbell can do any worse than what Matt Patricia did. So <laughs> you don't have that high of a bar to. We'll see. Yeah, it's not like he's. He, it's not like he's a Belichick uh, disciple that everybody's thinking like, oh, he's going to come in and he's going to help us, you know, get to the playoffs or help us do this or help us do that. He, like you said, doesn't have that much coaching experience. He's somebody who's coming into a, a franchise that has just been a dumpster fire overall. And I think that even when the Lions have been good, they've still had their issues. So I think, you know, low expectations for this guy and that can work into his favor. And depending on how well they do in these next two to three years, we will see if this team can, uh, you know, accept the Dan Campbell rah, rah, rah approach. All right, next up, we got the Eagles. They went out and they hired Nick Sirianni. He was offense coordinator for the Colts and most recently was the wide receiver and quarterback coach for the Chargers. Um, There's reports that he really blew away the Eagles in the interview process because a lot of people thought that Josh McDaniels, offense coordinator for the Patriots, was a prime candidate for the Eagles job. What was your thoughts on this hiring, Corey? I feel like everybody's always going to keep linking Josh McDaniels with uh, coaching jobs, but overall, I think that he's that I think he's just a, a a coordinator. To be honest with you, I'm not sold on Josh McDaniels as a head coach. I know he had a short stint um, as a head coach, but it didn't work out. But overall, getting to the Eagles, I think the biggest thing that Nick has to worry about is the relationship with. Carson Wentz because that's what got Doug Peterson in trouble is that Doug Peterson pretty much after winning a Super Bowl thought he could do whatever he wanted and I mean I get that I get that you deliver a team their first ever Super Bowl in franchise history you kind of feel like hey I can do whatever I want and to his credit though he did try to make it work with Carson Wentz but ultimately I think that the injury history of Wentz and I think the fact that his play was not the best made him kind of have to heavily consider going to a guy like Jalen Hurts. But I think the nail in the coffin that did Doug Peterson in was that fi- was that final game of the season where he pretty much openly tanked and, you know, quote-unquote lost on purpose. So I think that uh, the Eagles are going to have to figure out, similar to when Matt LaFleur came in for Green Bay, and everybody was skeptical on whether LaFleur and um, LaFleur and Rogers would work out. But I think that if Nick Cerrone can be able to work with Carson Wentz, if he can get Carson Wentz back to where he was playing at an MVP level, if they can somehow revitalize this Eagles team that went really like so quickly from a championship caliber team to an utter dumpster fire with think like just like that. So if they can get the Eagles back into the, the championship conversation, I think that's a W for him, but I think it's not going to be easy, especially when you don't know the the level of play you're going to get out of Carson Wentz and the, 
the team in Philadelphia and the you know overall fan base in Philly, if you're not winning right out the gate, if you don't sell them immediately, they will turn on you. Like <laughs> I'm just thinking immediately of Chip Kelly and how excited everybody was in Philly to get him versus how when he exited, they were literally throwing a full-on celebration <laughs> for him to get up out of Philly. So Philly fans, you gotta be able to uh, accept the fact that you're not in that 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 stage of being that that team that is on the cusp of a Super Bowl, you you got a little bit. I don't want to say a rebuild, but you got a, a reload that needs to take place here. Yeah, for sure, exactly what you said about Philly. Because I mean, Doug Peterson, guy, literally won them their first ever Super Bowl. Like this guy, you think he'd be God in the eyes of Philly, but they sacked him real quick after a couple losing seasons. So that goes to show what the Philly natives do, but Sirianni, he's a part of the Frank Wright coaching tree. And when Frank Wright was the offensive coordinator with the Eagles with Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz was having an MVP season. So with this hiring, it kind of brings up the question, are the Eagles still going to rock with Wentz or are they planning on passing the torch to Jalen Hurts? Because uh, th- this hiring honestly was kind of a wild card, especially given the situation that the Eagles are in. And because in my opinion, they have the chance to be a contender depending on their offseason moves or they can be exactly where they were this past season at basically the bottom of the barrel of the dumpster fire that is the NFC East. So it can go either way. And that's why I think taking this Eagles job is very, very hard. So we'll see how it pans out. Next up, we had the Falcons. They hired Arthur Smith. Was This guy was one of the biggest names circulating in the coaching carousel for teams. He was offensive coordinator for the Titans and was the assistant coach, tight end coach, and offensive line coach uh, the years before. What were your thoughts on this hiring? Um, I think that the Falcons definitely need to shake things up with their with their franchise at the moment because another team, like I mentioned, they unfortunately, unlike the Eagles, they didn't win a Super Bowl, but – they got to the Super Bowl, and ever since 2016, they have just never been the same. That 28-3 is going to forever be another thing that Atlanta sports just thinks about, like, what could have been <laughs> the franchise winning a Super Bowl ended up ending in such travesty. And right now you got you know Matt Ryan, you got Julio Jones as pretty much your star guys. But I think that even though you're bringing in an offensive guy – I think that this team really needs to to get better defensively, especially in such a division like the NFC South, where you no longer have to deal with Breeze, but you maybe still have to deal with Brady. You maybe still have to 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 deal with uh you know teams that might you know start getting better. So if you have to the deal Panthers, with, honestly, maybe depending yeah, on what they do in the draft, it, it, depending on what they decide to do. Um, so I mean, like you, you're in such a, a offensive heavy um and a quarterback friendly NFC South, you definitely need to make sure that your defense is somewhat serviceable. And, you know, they don't have to be like, you know, the best defense in the league, but they have to be able to stop somebody. And I think uh, they have to make a decision on whether or not are they going to, you know, stick with Matt Ryan? Are they going to stick with the offense that they have? Or are they going to just roll that, you know, roll the ball back out there? But overall, I think that ATL, they, they're, they got some rebuilding that they need to do. I, I mean, I like the hire of Arthur Smith. I think that this will be an interesting couple of years and whether or not he can pretty much, you know, convince uh, the organization that he's the right man for the job. But overall, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the jury is still out. Like, I, I'm not too 
too heavily sure, but I feel like they they definitely went in the right direction by getting an offensive uh, head coach here. Going back to what you were talking about, the blown leads, uh, Cody sent me a graphic. Shout out to Cody and Milson Sports Corner. But he sent me a graphic saying if games ended at halftime, the Falcons would have a nine and seven record <laughs> and the end of the season with going four and 12. So, I mean, history just repeats itself for the Falcons. But with Arthur Smith, the Titans, the last two seasons, they had him as offense coordinator. They've been a high powered offense, especially in their run game. So I think. The, the main thing for the Falcons is they need to get themselves a three down back who can do it both in the run and passing game. Uh, I think that's going to be crucial for Arthur Smith because honestly, Todd Gurley's not the answer. And yeah. I think maybe the, the Falcons go after a running back in free agency, like Aaron Jones, if the Packers don't resign him, because well, I, I don't think the Packers are going to resign him um, because he's going to be asking for a lot of money. But I think Aaron Jones would be perfect for this offense just because he's more than capable of being a three down back and can do it both in the running pass game. But I, I, I like the signing for the Falcons, Arthur Smith. You give him a lot of weapons in the passing game and he has a history of a, a great run attack. So the Falcons offense could be very high powered. But like you said, the defense is the biggest concern for this team. But I think if he's surrounded by the right staff members, um, the the Falcons could be back to their to their dominating dominating days. Yeah, we'll see. Because I mean, like, I, I don't know. I just feel like that division is going to be tough, depending on like what we see with you know with Brady and obviously the Bucks and you know whatever comes from the the Saints and the Panthers, like we said. So I mean, the, that division is not going to be easy whatsoever. And um, it might take a little while for the Falcons to to be back in the championship conversation, but we'll see. We will see. All right, moving on. We got the Jets. They went out and they hired Robert Sala, the defense coordinator for the 49ers. He was a linebacking coach for the Jags, defensive quality control coach for the Seahawks, and the assistant linebacking coach for the Texans. Along with Arthur Smith, Robert Sala was a hot commodity in the coaching carousel this offseason. Defensive-minded coach who is now moving from the West Coast to the East Coast. What are your thoughts, Corey? Um, like the hiring, um, just not sure if it's the great uh, I'm not sure I like the fact that it's the Jets like you know what I mean like if it was any other team it would have been like oh yeah that's a good that's a good hire like because I feel like he is going to to help them it's not to say that I don't think that Robert Sala is a bad coach it's just that it's the Jets like it's the Jets because like we've seen this team ruin Sam Darnold we've seen this team just not be able to have the pieces and just not be an attractive place where players want to go star players want to go it's pretty much well established that you know if you go into the Jets be prepared for your career to go and take a 180 I mean look at Lev Bell Lev Bell yeah he got the money he went to the Jets and pretty much disappeared now he's with Kansas City and he's back and he's in the Super Bowl so Overall, I just think that the, the the Jets organization, the big if on whether this is going to work is can he get the pieces to build up a, a, a legitimate, fearsome defense? Because I think that's the only way, the only way the Jets are in playoff contention or look like a serious contender is if they build up the defense. And I know in the modern day NFL, this is a pass league. This is an offensive league. You got to get the offense, offense, offense. But I think 
you look back when they had Rex Ryan, when they had Todd Bowles, what did they have, Kush? They had a defense. And yes, Todd Bowles, it, you know, they didn't work out, but they had a better record than they did under Adam Gase. Took them to the <laughs> AFC Championship. Exactly. So, I mean, like, you know, with Rex Ryan and those guys, I feel like defense is the way that this team needs to establish themselves. They got themselves a defensive-minded head coach who did wonders with the 49ers. Richard Sherman definitely gave a stamp of approval with this hiring. So I think that the coach overall um, is going to be an intriguing one, but I just don't like the organization as far as the Jets. It's not no hate or anything. It's just that they've historically – have made bad decisions and have ruined talent and have not been able to make the best out of what they have. So I think that the Jets need to make sure that they <laughs> do right by Robert Sala and get him the weapons that he needs. Otherwise, it's going to be another Adam Gay situation. Well, I mean, hey, hiring works both ways. Sala agreed to take on the challenge of this Jets team. So It'll be interesting, but if you watched any Niners games last season or the past couple seasons, Sala was the most vocal, energetic person on that sideline. And for a young team who's basically the laughingstock of the NFL last season, getting an energetic and tough defensive-minded coach like Sala is exactly what you need. I think depending on whether they stick with Darnold or they go off their quarterback in the draft or whether they trade for Deshaun Watson, I think Sala's going to need a big, big help from his offensive coaches, his offensive coordinators, his quarterback coach, all that stuff. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think, like you were saying with their past coaches, I don't think the Jets will necessarily have to worry given Sala's resume. So can you imagine if Sala had a weapon as like Jamal Adams still in New York? Sala would be <laughs> salivating. <laughs> that would be very interesting, but he is in Seattle now. Can't do anything about that, but they do have first two first round picks this uh, draft. So it'll be interesting to see how Sala approaches this draft, his first draft as a Jets, uh, as he tries to turn around this team. But I like the signing of it. Still a little concerned about their offense, but only time will tell how they pan out. Let's yeah, move it'll on. be interesting to see what they look like two, three years from now. Yeah. Let's move on. We got the Chargers. They went out and hired Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator for the Rams last year, the linebacking coach for the Broncos and the Bears. And uh, this one was a little surprising. Thought I would go, thought they would go the offensive way. I thought they would go Brian Dabble, the, the Bills offensive coordinator, but they decided to go the defensive route. Anyways, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think um, this, this, this will all predicate because I like the situation that he's going into. I mean, you got a nice, you know, potential rookie of the year quarterback in Justin Herbert. You have cap space. You definitely have um, a situation with uh, the Chargers where we saw all season they could have won so many games. This team could have been a sneaky playoff team. But oh, so you know, you know, the graphic I was talking to you about the Falcons. Yeah, so that same graphics. If games ended at halftime, the Chargers would be 10 and six. Exactly. So, I mean, like, and that's funny, Kush, because I had them going 10 and six last year. So the game just ended at halftime. They're, they're, they were first they're half in the team. Playoffs. So, so yeah, you're over here saying to me, I'm not going to lie. They had us in the first half. They did. They did. They did. They did have us in the first half. But overall, I think that the Chargers, um, one of the things that sucked for them was their late game management, which is why they moved on from Anthony Lynn. So the crucial thing that will need to be, uh, you know, looked at with Brandon Staley is late game situations. And I mean, I think he definitely has a window here because he needs to gel with Justin Herbert. I think the biggest thing, similarly to 
the Eagles, um, you know, head coaching assigning, um, I think that he has to be able to get on the same page in jail because with a young quarterback, similar to Baker Mayfield, the worst thing in the world is to have so many coaches coming in and out, in and out, in and out. This is the first offseason Baker Mayfield is going to have the same head coach going into next season. So, I mean, with Justin Herbert, he's showed that he has the talent. He showed that he could be a premier quarterback. I mean, it sucks that you go into a division that will more than likely have Patrick Mahomes for the next, you know, good long decade. decade yeah. <laughs> but overall, hey, this is the card that you've been dealt. So I think that the Chargers are going to have to realistically bolster up the defense. And you say it was an interesting way of going defensively. Maybe that's the, what they're thinking about is like, hey, we got to go up against the Chiefs. We got to figure a way to either not stop, but like slow them down. So that way they're not just pumping up points against us because the Chiefs can score at will. So maybe if you go the defensive route and you try to be able to, to, to slow down uh, because you have a quarterback that I think has the talent to be able to get his name up there one day, potentially if he stays injury free. Um, so we'll, we'll just see what they do as far as nourishing their young quarterback and built, bolstering up their defense and, you know, maybe try to get him uh Justin Herbert some more weapons offensively and build up the offensive line I think this will be a very interesting hire and I think that because it's the Chargers because it's LA um, maybe not a lot of people are going to pay attention to it but this I, I, I think might be one of the best hirings of uh, this coaching carousel seeing what on what Brian Dabble did with Josh Allen this this season I really thought the Chargers were going to go with him and go the offensive mind just because they would have wanted it see what Josh Allen happened, see that happen with Justin Herbert. But honestly, like you said, the defense, the charges have the weapons that Staley's going to get um, or this, the, the weapons that Staley had with the Rams and what he was able to do when he was with the bears, with Khalil Mack, when he was with the Broncos, with Von Miller, I mean, the AFC West, honestly, just got a lot more competitive with Staley coming over from the Chargers Cause if you look at the weapons he has on defense, Derwin James, Chris Harris, Joey Bosa, Kenneth Murray, and Casey Hayward. That's scary. So they definitely went the defensive route. And offensively, Staley having Joe Lombardi, who spent 10 years with Drew Brees, is definitely going to be helpful for Justin Herbert. The only thing that concerns me with this hire is the lack of coaching experience. Uh, yeah, Staley yeah. only has four years of coaching experience. And but they decided to go the young route and uh, decided they wanted a young minded head coach. So we'll see how the coaching unfolds for the Chargers team. Next up and last, we have the Jaguars who went with Urban Myers, the NCAA coaching legend with Ohio State, Florida, Utah and Bowling Greens. Jags are in full rebuild mode with the number one pick and a brand new shiny head coach with a ton of potential. What are your thoughts on the Jags and Urban Myers hiring? And cap space. And cap space. And Can't cap forget space. the cap space. Oh, man. So uh, this will be interesting because I think the the reason that Urban Meyer definitely took this job, I feel, is the fact that it was a great situation and it was also in a sunny, you know, environment, warm environment. Um, also, getting a young quarterback at the number one spot um potentially we'll you know we'll have to wait and see i mean they'd be dumb not to. <laughs> we'll see we'll see we'll see but you potentially got a young quarterback coming in you got a lot of cap space and they're paying you 
so much money and I, I have to feel Kush that he's going to be able to have plenty of say on the, the different moves that they try to make. And you want to talk about a guy who was on the scene of college football for so long, he's going to have the connections to be able to figure out who he should be going after year in and year out for the next couple of years or so, as far as drafting wise. So I think that as far as talent and, 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 and new players, he's going to have that at his disposal. The question is whether or not he's going to be able to turn the Jacksonville Jaguars, who it just feels like, it feels like it was a long time ago, but it was just a few years ago when they were in the AFC Championship game. And now they're in full rebuild mode. So I think that Urban Meyer, this will be an intriguing situation, but the opportunity to potentially try and build a Super Bowl contending team and put his name in that legendary Jimmy Johnson uh, Hall of Fame, like, you know, legendary coaching status of football head coaches that did it both in college and in the NFL. I mean, Nick Saban, we can all agree, is one of, if not potentially the greatest head coaches in college football, but he couldn't do it in the NFL. So, I mean, Pete Carroll was able to get that uh, that national championship with USC, but also was able to get a Super Bowl in the NFL. And he's regarded as one of the best coaches in the NFL. So, I mean, if you are able to do it on both ends, especially in the National Football League, you're just looked at as a different breed. And I think Urban Meyer definitely snapped up at the opportunity because of all the different pieces that were in play i think he definitely might not consider if they don't have the cat space and they don't and they don't have the number one overall pick yeah because he definitely came out of retirement for this one but this could be a hell of a story to watch all of next season college coaching legend basically turning around a dumpster fire in the jaguars so it'll be interesting and at least they're going to be getting well so we think we're going to they're going to be getting the best quarterback prospect coming out of college since andrew luck and trevor lawrence but like you did say, there's been a lot of great coaches that came out of college that have not panned out. And you said Nick Saban already, but Chip Kelly, Steve Spurrier, just to name a few. Um, I think the Jags definitely have to help Myers and Lawrence out with getting them weapons. And I think, like you said, he's going to have a lot of say with what goes on. Just because I think Shad Khan, when he the owner of the Jags, when he made this hiring, he was amped about it. So I think he's going to want to keep – Myers in the loop with everything and definitely want his opinion but the Jags are definitely gonna have to get Lawrence some weapons protection and a solid defense and like they say Rome wasn't built in a day so this could be a long process for the Jags but we will see yeah like I've been saying it'll be very fun to see what the Jaguars look three years from now and whether or not they're on that budding cusp of being a potential playoff team because we look at the Miami Dolphins and that was definitely not built overnight and they just missed out on the playoffs this year, but they have the potential and with the rumors swirling around and them potentially trying to get Deshaun Watson. I mean, they could be a definite team in a very friendly division where you only have one t- real opponent at this point in time and the Buffalo Bills that you have to worry about. They should, you know, be an interesting team to look out for. But I think like with the Jaguars in that division too, where you have Deshaun Watson potentially leaving. Um, and then the, the, the Tennessee Titans don't really know how long that window is going to last for them. That is an open division that they could potentially dominate for uh, the next few years if they get it right. Yeah. And I think given 
the the what what the AFC South is looking like right now. I mean, the Titans are the really only solidified team. The Colts they have a big glaring hole at quarterback now that Philip Rivers is gone, and then the Texans they're <laughs> all over the damn place. So. It'll be interesting to see how the Jags step up. But since we're on the topic of the Texans, there's still one head coach vacancy, and that is in Houston, who are, like I said, all over the place and look like an absolute shit show. But their quarterback doesn't even want to be there. J.J. Watt might want to leave this offseason and sign with a contending team. And it doesn't help that they don't even have their first or second round pick this season. So, I mean, the Texans, they need a head coach. Who do you think they should hire? They should try to get on the phone to Alabama and get Bill O'Brien back. <laughs> oh, my God. No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah. I wish um, this was like around the horn. I would have just muted you right yeah. there after saying that. Yeah. Um, uh, I think they need somebody who – I think I think they probably need to go after maybe someone like a, a like an offensive head coach. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, I think they have to get somebody who has obviously some coaching experience – um, but it, it's hard for me to say at this point in time, because I'm, I'm trying to think of a guy who could come into this organization and breathe in new life for him. But I just, I don't know. I just haven't had any like real names come to mind that would like immediately make a, an impact right away because they need a coach. That's not going to be like a young guy who doesn't have that experience. They need somebody who can come in right here, right now and be like a huge difference maker. For me, I think their prime candidate for the Texan should be Eric Bieniemy, the offense coordinator for the Chiefs. In his three seasons as offense coordinator for the Chiefs, they've ranked first, sixth, and then first again in most offensive yards in the NFL. And now they're on their way to compete for back-to-back Super Bowl championships. And it seems like, like I said before, Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, regardless of who the next head coach is. But if that's the case... If the Texans trade for trade Watson for either the Jets pick number two pick or the Dolphins number three pick to get in that top three and they go after Justin Fields, seeing what the has done, been able to do with a dual threat quarterback in Mahomes, he can take advantage of Justin Fields dual threat ability as well. Or if Deshaun Watson magically decides to stay with Houston, then you have an even polished, more polished dual threat quarterback. So I think. Bienemy is a great guy seeing what he's been able to do with the Chiefs. Granted, the Chiefs have amazing weapons for Mahomes, but I, it seems like every time the Chiefs run a play, it seems like they have three to four options every <laughs> single play. There's at least two time. guys open. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it's like, how do you really stop that offense? So I think definitely bringing that mentality into the Texans organization. Obviously, they're a long way to go than where the Chiefs are right now with protection with weapons all that kind of stuff so but they're really young on the defensive end in my opinion so I think that the the Texans should definitely uh go after Eric Bieniemy because he he himself has expressed that he's want he wants a head coaching job mm-hmm. in the NFL and he's one of the best offensive minded coaches left in the coaching carousel so if I'm the Texans why not hire him and try to turn things around in Houston all right, and then this past weekend on Sunday, we had the conference championship. Uh, we're doing a little playoff pick'em tourney with Milton Sports Corner, so make sure you guys check that out on our Twitter because Curtis, he's 10-2 and two right now, and he basically <laughs> locked up that number one spot. So, I mean, shout-out to Curtis. But, I mean, there's still two spots available on the podium, so we'll see uh, who gets those two spots. But let's start off with the first game. We had the Buccaneers 
versus the Packers. The Brady versus Rodgers matchup did not disappoint, but Brady proved that doesn't matter which conference he's in, he's going to do what it takes, and he's got what it takes to get to yet another Super Bowl, beating Aaron Rodgers and the Packers 31-26. to 26. What were your thoughts on this game? I feel like the story of this game was just the fact that the Packers got down so early. Like, I think trying to exert so much energy and making a comeback effort – um, I know, obviously, the big plays are going to be there that a lot of people are going to talk about. They're going to talk about that pass interference call that was made. They're going to talk about why did Aaron Rodgers decide not to run on that third and goal and just run it into the end zone when he had an open lane. Oh, my God. Every time I see it on the replay, I'm like, oh, my God, he could have just ran it in. But maybe he just didn't see it. And he did say that he thought that they were going to go for it on a, he thought it was four down territory, but ultimately they sailed on the field goal there. So uh, it was just like the little plays like that, but ultimately getting down like a 10 point deficit and giving up a touchdown right before the half. I feel like that, that's always a sucker punch, yo, like giving up points before the end of the half, it just reminded me and, and ironic enough, Tom Brady throws, it wasn't, I, I guess, a typical Harold Mary, but it kind of might as well have been a Hail Mary. I mean, Tom Brady throws a Hail Mary in Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers. There's like, literally four <laughs> seconds left. They're not in field goal range, and you decide to run man-to-man. Like, come on. Guys wide open down the sideline, like, yo. But I had to say, Kush, like, a lot of people are going to make this, you know, Brady versus Rodgers. Um, to be honest with you, I felt like Brady did a – Decent job of game managing. I feel like he it was a tale of you know two different halves. I feel like the first half he he did solid. Um, but I feel like the second half he kind of almost took his foot off the gas pedal and it felt like a situation where it, like he became a whole different quarterback. Yeah, more than the Bucks winning this game, I felt like the Packers beat themselves. Um, thank you. That's but, what I've been saying. But credit to the Buccaneers defense first of all who made it tough on Rodgers and the Packers all day long how many sacks did they have this game because he kept hitting the turf Aaron Rodgers was on the turf for a majority of this game well honestly Shaq Barrett is one of the most underrated edge rushers in the NFL the guy had 19 sacks last year and I just feel like he's still so underrated he's an absolute monster but I mean obviously not having David Bakhtiari is very helpful but um i just feel like the packers had so many opportunities to win this game and their offense just didn't execute they forced three tom brady interceptions in three straight drives in the second half and only managed to put up six points in those three turnovers because they didn't catch that two-point conversion but the biggest play of the game like you said third and goal rogers could have ran it in and then fourth and goal Matt LaFleur decides to kick it, then rather go for it on four down when it's clearly four down territory. And then the Bucks end up going down or getting the ball back. And I mean, the ensuing drive, they basically lose to the referees, maybe. I mean, but I, the, the reason why I said Brady proved that he has what it takes to make to the Super Bowl, I meant that he has his defense to ride on <laughs> and the referees. Tom Brady's a GOAT. Don't like I'm not denying yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, but like, but the referees, the, the referees all game pissed me off. They weren't calling any defensive PIs or holding <laughs> all game long. Clearly, when there was multiple on both sides of the ball, 
But the one, the, the biggest drive, the most important drive, they call defensive holding, which it clearly was a defensive holding. Yeah, so I'm we're not going to, yeah, we're not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue that, but I'm just saying, call it even all game long. That's mm-hmm. what pissed me off the most is the referees, basically a gigantic, are you blind moment? But <laughs> like I said before, Packers honestly beat themselves deciding to go for it, a field goal rather than go for it. And honestly, Buccaneers defense legit i'm a big fan of them and that's honestly i it's crazy because i thought that their defense would be the achilles heel for mm-hmm. this team while they made that Super Bowl know, run. <laughs> but it's it's completely flipped and honestly devin freaking white he's honestly emerged as my favorite linebacker in the entire nfl and crazy to think it's only his second year didn't make a pro bowl after getting nine sacks as a middle linebacker man insane insane yeah but like you said the Packers shot themselves in the foot again and how many times is it It just feels like I I remember that one year against Arizona in the postseason where Rodgers throws the long-range bomb to the end zone and they tie it up send it to overtime and then only to watch Larry Fitzgerald in the game on a (laughs) walk-off so I mean uh it felt like LaFleur was almost taking the ball out of Rogers' hands there, which I'm like, yo, that's your best player. No, isn't that your franchise best player? Player, why would you not put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands and just let him? Now I get it. If like if you go for it, you don't get it. I mean, people will criticize you in that situation, but at the same time, I'm like, but but they score? they went for a field goal when a field goal still makes it a touchdown still game. Go over a touchdown. So I mean, yeah, I mean they were really banking on that defense because they had three timeouts left not- and a two minute warning. Which I mean, the, the the Packers defense has been decent, but that's not what you've been hanging your hat on all season. Right, your right. season has literally been defined by Aaron Rodgers being an MVP quarterback, lighting it up with Devontae Adams in this offense, and literally covering up teams. So why not go ahead and let Aaron Rodgers go out and be that dude? So I mean, like you said, kudos to Brady and the Bucks, man. I mean, I don't think really a whole lot of people expected them to get. Uh, it's probably ex- except for. Tom Brady and you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans expected them forget to get to Kurt. the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, Kurt don't yeah, don't forget about Kurt. Yeah, Kurt said hey, we're going to the Super Bowl too. But I guess my thing was I just didn't know if, uh, if Brady was going to be able to be as uh, capable to get them there, and I wasn't sure if the defense was going to be able to hold firm. And like you said, Kush, this defense has caused Drew Brees to throw three picks, gave fits to Aaron Rodgers. And now has the potentiality to shut down Patrick Mahomes. And they didn't even have Antoine Winfield, who is a vying defensive rookie of the year. They're safety. They're very young safety. So if they get it back next week, too, that's just adding more firepower to this defense. It will be interesting. Then we had the second matchup on Sunday, the AFC Championship. We had the Bills versus the Chiefs. First thing I want to say is I was very, very wrong about Mahomes. I honestly <laughs> thought – I really thought he wasn't going to play. I thought he wasn't because of the concussion. Then homeboy proceeds to throw 325 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns. Hey, he said homeboy got me able to see. He was like, yeah, and sure. He, yeah, they smacked the Bills. He saw that 2020 vision right there. Yeah, for sure. They won 38 to 24. But what was your thoughts on this game, Corey? I mean, it's like you said, I mean, the Chiefs, they 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 got down early. 
Um, and it was just like a weird play to start out a muff <laughs> and like it reminded me so much of like uh oh it was like that uh oh moment that you kind of had like oh man is this kind of like the Steelers because like that's the first thing I thought I'm like yo are Kansas City about to have a Steelers moment right here where they just start having these unnecessary turnovers and they just start beating themselves for no reason but kudos to Mahomes man and, and kudos to the Chiefs I mean you, it, it, you always felt like the Bills defense every single drive just had issues stopping that Chiefs offense because of like you like we were saying like how dynamic Mahomes is is like if he gets outside the pocket there's there could potentially be two three guys open <laughs> and, and then if you cover all those guys he could just take off with his legs which I mean for a guy who had turf toe I mean he was still able to get shifty with it and get outside the pocket so I mean that's crazy in itself but I think that this this game um it should not be a referendum like solely on how like like I don't think this was like the chief uh the bills were bad I think that this was just the chiefs are just so good and I think this is why that they're the premier team in the AFC and yet again going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl just because I feel like they they have a leg up on the other teams in the AFC currently right now and I and shout out, hey I gotta say this shout out to Stefan Diggs I don't know if you've seen it there's a clip of Stefan Diggs after uh, mm-hmm. his team loses, he's the only Bills player that decided to watch the Chiefs celebrate. So, I mean, I'm excited to see what next year is going to bring out of Stefan Diggs because I'm, I'm dude was already first in receptions and receiving yards. He, so he's going to be motivated to he's gonna be on a only, mission, not only like uh, have the personal stats, but I think he's going to be desperate to want to do whatever it takes to help the Bills win next year because he was, I think, their biggest signing because he he helped Josh Allen go above and beyond. Uh, his level of play definitely proved that first round pick was 100% worth it absolutely worth it but I for I guess the Chiefs just love playing from behind because last playoffs they they came back damn near every game and won a Super Bowl and then this past Sunday they were down 10-0 and made a comeback look effortless absolutely effortless and it seems like Mahomes honestly never had that concussion that I was talking about but you could tell anything you could tell his turf toe was a factor only five times for five yards but I mean he'll have two weeks to nurse it and get ready for to be that dual threat quarterback again um come Super Bowl Sunday but as for this Chiefs defense, not a lot of people are going to talk about it because the Bills did put up some yards on the Chiefs, but Josh Allen seemingly did everything he could do like he's been doing all season long, but the Chiefs defense definitely slowed down this Bills offense, and I think they just basically let Mahomes and company take off on the offensive end, and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, is there anyone in the league that can guard these guys? It's, I mean, it's going to be interesting because they're, they're – We'll talk about it next week, the matchup in the Super Bowl. But um, as for the Bills, like I said, it was all Josh Allen. Chiefs did a good job containing Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley. But Cole Beasley had a good game, and reports came out on Monday saying he was playing that game on a broken leg. Yeah. Fibula, to be specific. And seven catches, 88 yards on a broken leg insane shout yeah. out to cole beasley because yeah. just to just to play and it could have been the cold that definitely helped him but <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean because i think it, it, he had been play, playing on it even last week i think he was uh, playing on a, a a broken leg too so i insane. mean like, yeah like the fact that he was still able to suit up and go out there and he still was showing crazy. off his burst too in the game yes i mean like how do you have that burst of speed when you barely when you're literally on one leg bro like that's crazy. insane 
But yeah, so the Kush, t-shirt. Kush, Kush better call up Cole Beasley and be like, yo, how, how'd you do it? <laughs> I already hung up the jersey. I've hung up the jersey. Comeback season, boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Chiefs are going to be going to their second straight Super Bowl. And as for the Bills, they head into the off, off, off season with honestly nothing but optimism heading into next season. They have some areas which I do think they need to improve, especially their run offense, because mm. in the playoffs they were very one-dimensional. And Josh yeah, Allen had just to Josh throw. Allen. Josh Allen Josh had Allen. to throw basically eighty percent of the time, and uh, he was their run. He was their run exactly, offense. He led. He, yeah, he had eighty-eight rush yards, which is leading the Bills in the championship game. But for me, maybe they go after Aaron Jones as well. But but he is going to be a little pricey, so maybe a cheaper option, maybe a Le'Veon Bell or Leonard Fournette mm. in hopes that they can turn back the clock because Leonard Fournette has been looking good for the Bucks in the postseason, whereas in the regular season, he didn't look good. But maybe that's what they were trying to do. They were just saving him. And then Le'Veon Bell, I just don't think he fits that Chiefs offense. So maybe he still has it in the tank, but we'll see. But they definitely do need to get a run offense to help out Josh Allen. All right, and then finally, we got Aaron Rodgers going back to the Packers and the Bucks. After the Packers lost to the Bucks, Aaron Rodgers said in the post-game interview that he was unsure of what his future holds, making it seem that moving on from a pack from the Packers is a possibility. He signed a contract extension in 2018 uh, through 2023, but after the Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round last year, his long-term futures kind of was thrown into question. So Rodgers is coming off arguably his best season of his career with 48 touchdowns and only five picks and is presumably going to win the MVP. But um, maybe maybe the reason why he leaves is maybe because they can't get over the hump. Because I read this, that he's the first quarterback in NFL history to lose four straight conference championship appearances. And Matt LaFleur even came out post game and expressed Rodgers' role on the team, basically saying he's the heart and soul of our football team and he better be back. But where do you think Rodgers is going to be playing next season? Um, I think he does come back. I think uh, he he's kind of uh, – he's just frustrated. And I, it's similar – to the James Harden situation, right? Um, I feel like he just no, it, it's similar in the aspect of him being frustrated to like with James Harden, but I think it's just like he's felt like he's had to carry this franchise on his back for these past few years, and he has felt like they haven't been surrounding him with the enough talent as like if he like let's just switch roles for a second let's put Aaron Rodgers on the Bucks with Mike Evans with Chris Godwin with Antonio Brown with all those weapons on that I mean yo the the numbers that Aaron Rodgers is putting up with one star receiver uh and Devontae Adams imagine if he had offenses an offense like the Buccaneers imagine if he had like an offense like the Saints I think that's the frustration that Aaron Rodgers has. It's just like, he feels like he doesn't have enough weapons. And I feel like while so many people say like, Oh, Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't need any, he doesn't need a lot of, a lot to work with. I mean, I I think he feels like I would like to have something to work with. And I think that ever since they, they drafted Jordan love, he came into the season with a, a chip on his shoulder and some added motivation. And he definitely has said he was feeling frustrated after they decided to, to go ahead and, and draft a quarterback instead of a skill position. Cause he kept feeling like, yo, like, are, are we trying to win? And I think he needs to have a conversation with uh, upper management this off season. I think they just all need to clear the air and they need to pretty much 
figuring out how to get on the same page because um, it, he hasn't made any sort of trade requests or anything yet. So ultimately, he, he he's still a Packers player, but I think he's just putting that out there because of the fact that while they the Packers are going to have a lot of different free agents up uh, at uh, in this offseason that they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do offensively. I think he's kind of pretty much just saying, like, look, man, if I don't get no weapons going into this year, um, we're going to have to have a conversation. And he's probably going to end up with him at, uh, at requesting a trade. But he's already said, like, Kush, like, after they drafted Jordan Love, that he feels like his future may not be ending in Green Bay. So I feel like he will come back next year with the Packers but ultimately it's hard to say where his future will end as far as in the NFL because he could go to another team because we've seen Tom we seen we thought Tom Brady was going to be a, a Patriot till the day he died <laughs> so uh it, it's not it's not ridiculous to think that because we've seen Peyton Manning leave the Colts and go to the Broncos we've seen Tom Brady leave uh the Patriots what's to say that Aaron Rodgers doesn't decide to just up and leave and not only leave, but maybe even change conferences. Yeah, it will be interesting. But I honestly think that we have another Brett Favre situation on our hands where Favre ended up retiring when the Packers gave the keys to Rodgers and then Favre came out of retirement and then was traded. I don't think Rodgers will retire, but I definitely think he is going to be traded next within the next two off seasons. It may not be this year, but I think within the next two off seasons, if both parties are okay with moving on and, and Rogers is unhappy there, but I think Rogers, we saw this year still has fuel in the tank and any team he goes to, they can definitely be a contending team, but contractually he is tied with the Packers until 2023. So I think that from that standpoint, he stays with the Packers one more year and he'll be their starting quarterback come 2021. And that it, but I, I definitely do think it's a possibility that Rodgers will be traded after the 2022 offseason. Cause I mean, if they win a Super Bowl, then maybe, but if it's, it's Super Bowl or bust, if they win anything, if they go anything but a Super Bowl, I think he's definitely going to be traded this next season. Just because you drafted Jordan Love, you're having him sit behind Aaron Rodgers for two years. Like you're gonna have him sit for another year or two. Like the the way the way Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers contracts match up, it was like I still don't get it why they drafted Jordan Love. But I mean, yeah, because on a contract standpoint, they basically are aligned to set hit free agency unless the Packers pick up his fifth year option. So. It will be interesting, but I, I see Aaron Rodgers moving on for them, not this year, but potentially next year if they don't win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think um, – I don't know, Kush, if I, if I made this comparison on this podcast, but for me, Aaron Rodgers reminds me so much of LeBron um, in the fact of he – with Cleveland, that is. Because if you look at the, the situations that LeBron had with Cleveland versus with Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, I think Aaron Rodgers – is kind of just looking for he's just looking for for something that will help him get over the hump yo so i think he's looking for for something that will help him to be able to to get out of the nfc championship game and get to um and get to the super bowl because he's only been there one time and he's only won it. and i think that's that's the thing that kind of keeps on in the back of his head like i want to get back i want to get back but it's like he, he needs the Packers to show that they want to help him. And 
He's basically like, help me help you. Yes, exactly. It's like, I can't do my job. I can't, you guys want me to be Superman all the time. It's like, yo, like he's well into his career. He's not trying to, you know, like it reminds me of that meme that I saw for LeBron. I'm 36. Like, (laughs) yo, I can't keep doing this, you know, like you guys got to help me. So that's, that's the whole situation there. And I think like the Packers, if they don't realize it now, uh, then I, then I think that they're going to miss out on possibly one of their franchise's greatest quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. That's going to wrap up this episode. Appreciate y'all listening. As always, catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, shoot us that five-star rating. Write us a review. really helps us out. And if you're not following us on social media, I don't know what y'all doing, but get to it because we on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram, the nosebleeds. And on Facebook, look up the nosebleeds podcast. Corey, any last words? Hey, I'm excited for this Super Bowl. Mahomes versus Brady is going to be fun, 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 fun. But ultimately, I mean, if Brady is able to win another one, <laughs> like that's just like, what the heck? We'll but talk Mahomes about that next episode. Has a chance to do back to back? Yeah. It's crazy. Something that hasn't been done since Brady. That's crazy. Yeah. So it'll definitely be interesting. And last but not least, RIP Black Mamba Kobe Bryant. We love you, my man. We are out. Deuces.